Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's happening, 49ers faithful? This is Peter Panacey, associate editor of NinerNoise.com, here with another edition of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the fan-sided network, and also filling in again for Robert Morrison, who's out on paternity leave. So, of course, wishing Robert and his family the very best, and looking forward to getting him back in the fray, too. Um, but in the meantime, we continue to push forward just as the 49ers continue to push forward. And my goodness, <laughs> what a game in week 14. The 49ers, of course, winning in overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, a lot to get into with that game, a game that uh, certainly wound up being a lot more stressful than I would have preferred. I know that when the Niners had that 20-6 to lead, I was already getting ready to write up everything about the reaction and what have you with the game until the Bengals uh, staged that comeback and forced it in overtime. And and then it was looking like the Bengals were going to win in overtime, and my goodness. So, yeah, lots to get into. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other things as far as what the 49ers have to deal with going forward, where things stand as far as the playoffs are concerned, how these final four regular season games are shaping up, including one that's on tap here in Week 15 at home against the Atlanta Falcons. But a lot more to get into beyond that. But before we do, just again, a, a, a slight favor to ask of all of you who are listening in. If you enjoy what you hear, either from Robert, myself, any of the guests that we have on from time to time, go ahead and click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Leave us that five-star review. Leave us comments. We enjoy interacting with you. It definitely helps grow the podcast, and it's something that we all enjoy doing. And most importantly, we hope you enjoy it too. So yeah, chances are you watched that game between the 49ers and Bengals, and you watched the Niners get out to that 20-6 to lead, and it was all-encompassing commanding from the Niners' vantage point. Debo Samuel was back. He was running the ball, and once again, kind of an oddity. Debo Samuel has only had one reception in each of his last three games, so I, I'm kind of questioning his designation of being a wide receiver and, and thinking maybe he should just be more of a, of a running back or whatever. But 
Nevertheless, Debo Samuel was a massive factor in that game. Was absolutely uh, you know fantastic, uh, getting the 49ers on the scoreboard with a touchdown, um, the Niners' first touchdown of the night. But of course, you're talking about the big players from the game. You're going to be looking at George Kittle. You're going to be looking at Nick Bosa. You're going to be looking at Aziz Alshire. You're going to be looking at Brandon Ayuk in that exceptionally memorable game-winning touchdown in overtime. So yeah, certainly a lot of standouts, but also a little bit of, of concerning news on the injury front. And I just want to highlight a couple of the injuries the Niners are dealing with right now. Head, Kyle, head coach Kyle Shanahan spoke to reporters on Monday about this and noted that uh, Alshire has really come into his own as a starting caliber linebacker for the 49ers this season. Uh, he's day-to-day um, with an injury, and, and it, it, it's it's going to be something where it's just an elbow, so hopefully he'll be back okay. And then cornerback Ambry Thomas, who, let's face it, he had a little bit of a rough go in his first NFL start, of course, with Emmanuel Mosley out with the ankle injury. Uh, Thomas was basically pushed into the fray and had some had some rookie-like moments. I mean, we're not going to get around that. But uh, anyway, he's in the concussion protocol, so that's going to be something to monitor. And, and that's going to also potentially affect what the 49ers have to do uh, when they host the Falcons this upcoming Sunday at Levi Stadium. How is that cornerback room going to shape up? But more of a concern is the potential season-ending loss of edge rusher D. Ford. And this was another one of those little nuggets stemming from Kyle Shanahan's presser on Monday saying that he would be surprised. And I, I, I quote Shanahan here quite literally, uh, I'll be surprised if he's back. And that's Kyle Shanahan speaking about D. Ford, of course, who has missed the bulk of this year with a back injury that forced him to miss all but one game a season ago. So why is this relevant? Well, simply put, the Niners opened up D. Ford's practice window a few weeks ago. And Wednesday, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday, but Wednesday is the deadline for the 49ers to either activate him to the 53-man roster or he'll be done for the year. Can't come back. Forget about short-term IR. None of that. That doesn't apply here. So obviously, the 49ers would love to get a number two complimentary pass rusher to Nick Bosa, who is absolutely on fire against the Bengals, constantly in the backfield, added to his sack totals, now is 14 on the season, leads the league in tackles for a loss, was was just a wrecking ball. But having that number two pass rusher, especially if you're looking at the playoffs, which is in play now, uh, is going to be so vital for San Francisco. And the Niners really haven't gotten that from anybody else. Yes, Arden Key has been stepping up nicely as kind of a rotational guy. Uh, you'd probably like to see a little bit more from Jordan Willis, but nevertheless, it's been all Bosa in the pass rush department. It really has. So it's looking as if Wednesday is going to be that deadline for D Ford. And based on Kyle Shanahan's comments, it doesn't seem like Ford will be coming back. Of course, the 49ers could make a move here. It would carry some risk, but they could go ahead and activate D Ford to the 53-man roster and then, just for as long as it takes, especially heading into the postseason, hope he gets better as one of the weekly inactives. And you think about some of the players who've been you know, kind of regular weekly inactives. One who comes to mind is defensive lineman Maurice Hurst. He's been out with a calf injury, I think, for all but two games this year. Yet, he hasn't been designated to IR. It just seems like on a week-to-week basis, he's missing practice and he's out. So again, kind of one of those sort of oddities. It would carry some risk, of course, 
But if the 49ers truly think D Ford has something to offer this season, uh, even if it's in the playoffs, that might be the move that you see them make. But nevertheless, 49ers injury news isn't all bad. I did mention Ambry Thomas going down after a pretty rough game against the Bengals. Uh, he was flagged twice, of course, for uh, illegal hands to the face. One of those wiped out what would have been Nick Bosa's third sack of the game, and another wiped out what would have been a Jimmy Ward interception. So, you know, hey, growing pains. Jimmy Ward spoke about this after the game when he was talking to reporters saying, look, and I'm not directly quoting here, I'm paraphrasing, but Jimmy Ward saying, look, I went through some struggles in my first NFL game. People were calling me a bust. People were saying, ah, oh, gosh, I didn't have what it takes. And, uh, and, <laughs> and I've improved upon my career. Those are words... You know, basically what, what Ward, Ward was saying there and, and trying to apply those to Avery Thomas. And you can kind of understand the gist of it. So, hey, you know, if Thomas learns a little bit from that, great. He could be in for a much bigger role next season. We'll see. But nevertheless, for now, the 49ers cornerback spot is certainly precarious. And that showed a lot during the Bengals game, especially when you got into the fourth quarter. And this was one of those moments where you just kind of felt the momentum slipping away from San Francisco. As I mentioned before, the Niners had gotten out to a 20-6 lead over the Bengals in the third quarter. Now, granted, the Bengals had some chances. They made some of their own mistakes, especially in the first half. You had those two muffed punts the Niners were able to recover. Uh, there was also some kind of ding-dong penalties on, on the Bengals that, that led to the 49ers extending drives that otherwise may have been stopped. But the momentum shifted back again. And while the trio of Bengals wide receivers, and I'm talking about T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, none of them really totally took over the game. And I mean, took take over the game by a dominant perspective. Yeah, Chase had two touchdowns, but he also dropped some passes. Sure, T. Higgins had 114 yards on five receptions. But even though those guys didn't totally take over the game, you could see that they were finding their groove against a Niners secondary, particularly at cornerback, that has holes. And there was no amount of scheming that defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans was able to do to help account for that. And so what you needed to see from San Francisco's vantage point, and, and mind you, there was a 17-point swing, including overtime, that went in the Bengals' favor. So what the 49ers needed to do was to figure out some sort of way to keep the momentum going on offense during the second half to account for the defense. And this got me thinking, because I was... I was, I was watching that game, and then after the dust had settled, as I'm, I'm looking at things on Monday and, and, and Tuesday, what's going on with the 49ers' second half scoring this year? Is, is this kind of a trend? Is this a concern? And you recall two weeks ago, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, a, a week ago against the uh, Seattle Seahawks, uh, 49ers did not do well in the second half again. And, and yeah, there have been games where the 49ers have played well, in the second half enough, but I want to just kind of give you a, 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 a few splits here as to, to what's going on, for example, and and how some of these second half numbers have, have kind of compared, I guess, if you would, um, to what the 49ers have been doing in the first half. So let's, let's take a look at these splits here. So including week 14, the 49ers are averaging 13 and a half points over the first two quarters. And that's actually tied for 11th best up to this point in the season. So, you know, pretty good there, right? I mean, you're considering the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't your 
overly crazy dynamic quarterback and the Niners have been banged up on the ground with Raheem Mostert out for all but one game. Elijah Mitchell in and out of the lineup. Debo Samuel missing a game recently. George Kittle out for a little while. You know, you'd take an 11th best first half scoring offense if, if you could. You know, that's not terrible. Uh, But if you go down into the second half, the 49ers are averaging just 11.4 points. So more than two points less in quarters three and four. And that number is actually tied for 18th. So there's pretty big contrast uh, between what the Niners are doing on offense in the first half compared to what they're doing in the second half. Now, again, I do, you know, we kind of have to take a look at so many things because football in of itself is such a hand in glove sport. Maybe the Niners have a comfortable lead. They don't need to put up more points in the second half. They just need to wear down the clock. Uh, you know, there's plenty of factors that go into this, but I thought that stat and that stat split was pretty telling. Another thing that I kind of noticed while doing some research on this, Jimmy Garoppolo, first half sacks taken this year, seven. Second half sacks taken this year, 17. So kind of an interesting number right there. You know, that was one of the, the real massive splits between first half and second half offensive numbers that kind of jumped out at me. So it's gonna be one of those things that'll, that'll, that'll pique the interest for San Francisco, not just down the stretch of these final four games, but also potentially into the playoffs as well, because you might be facing these situations where you don't necessarily get out to a big lead. You have to play some desperation, come from behind football, especially considering the Niners are most likely going to be tabbed as a wild card team and will have to take to the road for all three rounds of the playoffs if they hope to make to the Super Bowl. So it's kind of one of those trends that, that is a little bit troubling. It did reveal itself against the Bengals, but hey, fortunately, the Niners were able to hang on in overtime, drive back, and uh, look, let's face it, Jimmy Garoppolo. He had his ups and downs in that game, too. Almost tossed a a pick-six interception late in the fourth quarter. Uh, He fumbled once on a play where a ghost or or the wind strip-sacked him or whatever. I don't know. Um, He wasn't perfect. You know, I'm not going to pretend that he was. But at least on that final drive, um, being able to go 6 of 6 for 73 yards and finishing the game off with that 11-yard touchdown to Brandon Ayuk. So again, Ayuk was a stud. It's great to see Brandon Ayuk coming on as of late, making a massive impact in the offense. He's been your leading wide receiver with Debo Samuel not getting so many touches and targets through the air. But of course, we'd be remiss if we were trying to say that anyone else other than George Kittle is the number one pass catcher on this offense right now. And after a slowish start to the season, one which included injury, it's great to see George Kittle come out with yet another 150 plus yard game. Uh, another touchdown, and I believe according to NFL Communications, uh, with back-to-back games of over 150 yards and a touchdown, George Kittle is now the first tight end in the modern football era to have done so. So pretty fantastic work. He finished uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, evening with 13 catches, 151 yards, and one touchdown. Now he's having 757 yards on the season with six scores. And really just kind of serving as that, that, that heartbeat, the engine of the 49ers offense. And uh, that's going to be much needed down the stretch as the 49ers look to make this push to the playoffs. Now, I mentioned a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo, too. I want to get more into him a little bit later. But before we do that, let's change gears a little bit here and, and kind of just talk about where all of this 
goes, what this means for San Francisco. And you know, kind of wondering like, all right, you, you pulled off that win. Is this gonna be something that you're able to, to drive into the playoffs? Are you able to finish off uh, these final four games and, and manage to you know, get in with a, a, a perfect, I don't know, <laughs> 11 and six record, or I'm sorry, 11 and seven record or you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, I gotta make sure I'm doing all my numbers now because I'm trying to forget if it's a 16 game season instead of the 17 games that it is. Nevertheless, forgive me on that. But either way, big picture, the 49ers swap places with the Washington football team uh, who ended up losing to the Dallas Cowboys over the weekend. And the Niners, of course, they jump up to the number six seed in the playoff picture. Now, ideally, ideally, the Niners would have gotten a little bit of help from the Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football. And the Arizona Cardinals did not help the San Francisco 49ers by beating the Los Angeles Rams. And so the Rams still have that two-game lead over the Niners. The Rams, of course, at 9-4. and four, And the 49ers at 7-6. and six. Uh, Both of those teams in the numbers 5 and 6 seeds, uh, respectively. So uh, there's still a game to be played between the Niners and Rams. I know that that's going to be taking place in Week 18. And the Rams falter a little bit, and then for whatever reason, if there's something to be decided between those two squads in Week 18, it sure makes for for an interesting contest. But that's for a few weeks away. You know, we don't really have to think about it, although I guarantee you all of us, and certainly the Niners too, will be doing some scoreboard watching between now and then. And so as far as that seeding is concerned, you're looking at this 7-6 and six Niners team, and you're thinking, okay... Is it feasible they go 11-6 and six and, and, and sweep out their final four games? Yeah, of course it is. I'm not going to try to pretend that that's impossible. I don't know if I would necessarily consider it likely, uh, although you could make the argument the Niners' most challenging game remaining out of these four uh, might not necessarily be that Rams contest in Week 18, but rather the Thursday night football matchup that the Niners have, uh, not this weekend, but the following week against the Tennessee Titans. Traveling East, Thursday night football, never easy, especially for a West Coast squad. But the Titans are a little banged up. You know, we, we, we know that. They are without Derrick Henry, potentially for the rest of the season with his foot injury. Uh, wide receivers A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, they're also on injured reserve, but they could return by then, so we'll see. And uh, yeah, they haven't really been that dominant team anymore. But again, when you're looking at a, a road team having to travel a long way for Thursday night, it's never fun. In the meantime, the 49ers do have to face off against the Atlanta Falcons. And the Falcons, you know, this is kind of one of those two games that you would figure is, is winnable. Now, again, the Niners with a 7-6 and six record, potentially something that you could see as, you know, two more wins should probably get the job done. Right, I mean, it, I would be thinking that. I would be thinking, okay, if the if the 49ers can finish nine and eight, you know, two more wins, two more losses, that probably gets it done. And so you'd have to classify the Falcons as one of those teams the Niners would prefer to beat, especially because the Niners do have tiebreakers already over other potential playoff contenders that are currently on the outside looking in. The Minnesota Vikings at six and seven, the Philadelphia Eagles at six and seven, and then of course the Falcons coming in at six and seven. All of those three teams are potentially spoilers for a Niners playoff berth. But the Niners already beat the Vikings, they already beat the Eagles, and if they beat the Falcons, that effectively makes at least a two-game lead over those teams. So if they wind up tying 
with the same record and a playoff berth is on the line, well, guess what? The tiebreaker goes to San Francisco. So that's, that's what puts the, the emphasis point on this upcoming weekend's matchup against Atlanta. Of course, kicking off at Levi Stadium, uh, the afternoon slate of games, and, you know, of course, the other game that's probably winnable from San Francisco's vantage point is uh, the second-to-last game of the year, and that's going to be against the Houston Texans. And I, I guess they count as an opponent, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Texans, they're they are not coming out to the Bay Area and beating the 49ers unless I, I'm not even going to go there. So, yeah, so the Falcons and Texans really have to be those two final wins the Niners have to absolutely ensure. And, yes, of course, beating the Titans would be great. Beating the Rams would be even better, especially with those two teams, you know, one spot apart in the standings, if not two games, but at least one spot in the standings separating those two, and that could carry some very serious implications. Pretty sure the Niners aren't going to be clamoring for an NFC uh, championship crown this year, so let's cross that off. Focus on those wildcard spots. The Niners still have that chance to climb to the number five seed, but it's still possible they miss out on the postseason altogether putting, again, that focus on winning those two winnable games against the Falcons and against the Texans in a few weeks. So let's talk a little bit about that Falcons game that you're taking a look at here. And, and gosh, I don't know what to make of Atlanta this year. I, well, I, I guess I do. It's a team that's, that's, that's more or less mired in a quasi-rebuild, one that just is not fully committed or, you know, it's going to take a while to get out from under. I mean, if you're general manager Terry Fontenot, you don't really have a great situation here. You're still locked in with Matt Ryan and the Falcons decided to commit to him. And they offloaded some pieces, but they still have a lot of older aging players on expensive contracts that are going to be tough to get out from under. So instead of just completely pulling the plug on everything and saying, hey, we're going to hit refresh, it might be some you know, cap, I wouldn't call it cap hell, but just cap annoyance for the next few years until all those contracts clear. I'm not necessarily sure why they didn't do that, but whatever, not my problem. Those people make money way more than I do, so I'm sure they have a plan that, that makes a lot of sense, but what we'd have to talk about then if uh, we just said that. Nevertheless, I, I, I saw plenty of tweets <laughs> during the Falcons' most recent win over the Carolina Panthers in Week 14 that said this might be the best, or I'm sorry, the, the worst 6-7 and seven Falcons team of all time. <laughs> and that was kind of the gist of a bunch of these Falcon tweets coming out here. And I, and I, I kind of buy it. You know, you have a team that's just one game below 500 at 6-7, and seven, still in the playoff hunt, still realistically having a shot. And granted, I know, you know, aside from the Buccaneers, the NFC South is, is a dumpster fire. But you know, consider these few things. The Falcons own the league's 26th ranked scoring offense, the league 28th ranked scoring defense. Uh, as far as their, their, their rushing attempts, they're averaging 3.7 yards a carry, which is 30th. They've gotten just shy of 1,200 rushing yards uh, this season, which is 27th. I mean, you'd expect a Matt Ryan-led offense to be at least okay through the air. Uh, but they're only averaging six yards per attempt. That's 20th in the league. Uh, they only have, they have they've only passed for just under you know 3,000 yards. That's 17th. And you know, in fairness to Matt Ryan, again, he's 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 played well enough this season, having a little bit of a trouble turning the ball over. 17 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, an interception percentage of 2.5. But in fairness to him, he doesn't really gotten the weaponry that you would hope 
to have. I mean, Cordero Patterson, kind of that multi-purpose Debo Samuel-like tool, a wide receiver and a running back's body or vice versa. But aside from that, you know, aside to you know another extent, rookie tight end Kyle Pitts, there's really nothing there. And yet, here we are. We're looking at the Falcons as a 6-7 and seven team, a legitimate threat to the Niners. And I, I, I really don't want to see what happened two years ago when the Niners were well on their way to securing the, the number one seed in the, uh, in the conference and, and, and winning the division and what have you. I don't want to see one of those trap games show up. Now, I think the margin for error for San Francisco this season is so much less than what, what it was in 2019, and the Niners have to know that. They have to know, by gosh, like, you know, we were up big on the Bengals, and, and then all of a sudden just things fell apart in the fourth quarter, and, and we were this close to losing that game. So, you know, maybe that's a good teaching point. Not to, uh, not to come back and, and sort of let the guard down against the Falcons team that, while statistically isn't very good, has found a way to pull off pull off some wins, you know, and, and you look at the teams the Falcons have beat this season. I mean, they beat the New York Giants, they beat the New York Jets, they beat the Miami Dolphins early in the year when the Dolphins were going through some struggles. You know, they've beaten the Saints and, uh, you know, they beat the Jaguars and they beat the Panthers. Pretty much all those teams with maybe a slight exception to the Saints and Dolphins. I, all those teams should be beatable. So maybe we don't need to give the Falcons too much credit. But nevertheless, a win is a win. They didn't choose their opponents, and they're sitting there in the number 10 seed with a very realistic chance of trying to pull off some sort of upset on the road against the 49ers in a way that could potentially really you know, kind of shake up the standings a little bit. Now, again, the 49ers don't necessarily have to win this game. It's not one of those must-win contests, but it's one that uh, the Niners better win. Let's put it that way. So anyway, for those who are asking, the Niners, of course, are currently listed as eight-point favorites, according to our partners over at WinBet. Uh, WinBet looking at the Niners as a pretty significant favor favorites. If you're going to be betting on the game, uh, that might be some line that you'd be interested in looking at. And of course, that money line for the 49ers is at minus 400, and the over/under 45. So make that make of that what you will. So we'll keep an eye on that particular game. So uh, I did mention earlier, one of the, the, the kind of the X factors of this contest is going to be how that 49ers secondary, which is still potentially going to be without Emmanuel Mosley because of the injury, and now potentially without Ambry Thomas because of his concussion, how that group focuses up. So it might be quite the benefit that the Falcons don't exactly have a ton of offensive weaponry. Matt Ryan is still Matt Ryan, of course, we know this in the latter stages of his career, but... You know, again, you're looking at a pass rush that's going to be there. Nick Bosa making his impact. He needs to be there. And I think, honestly, it's going to come down to one of these games where if the 49ers execute a similar game plan, just not making mistakes, not turning the ball over, taking advantage of whatever mistakes the Falcons might make. And, you know, bad teams tend to make more mistakes. It's one of those weird things. Huh, you make mistakes, you lose. It's weird, huh? Weird concept. If the 49ers handle their business that way, Cut down on their own mistakes, take advantage of the ones presented to them. Kind of the same approach that worked over the first two plus quarters against Cincinnati, then yeah, this should be a fairly easy win. And then with that win, the Niners are gonna wind up being eight and six, and it'll be very, very, very tough for anybody to dislodge them from one of those wild card berths. You know, maybe the 49ers fall to eight and nine, but 
you know, I don't see that happening with uh, with Houston on the table. That's right. I mentioned Houston again because guess what? They're terrible. So uh, if you're looking at a game the 49ers have to win down the stretch, this has got to be one of them. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I have no problem saying it. Probably going to be a 49ers victory. Um, if we're going to be dropping predictions here, why the heck not? Let's go ahead and do so. I'm going to call this one a 27-21 49ers victory. That's my prediction. It's up over at our betting preview piece over at NinerNoise.com. Go check it out. Give you a little bit more insight. And unless other things change or there's some crazy injuries, uh, we're probably going to wind up staying at that 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 prediction as well. Again, the Falcons are, are not very good offensively or defensively, but you'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes out. So anyway... Um, before we wrap things up, I do kind of want to take a look at, at, at the proverbial elephant in the room. And I, I was really excited to, to talk about this just because I have so many just weird thoughts and ideas about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and his future with the 49ers, Trey Lance, his future with the 49ers. What's been going on there? What some of the others in the media have, have said and what it all means and everything along those lines. So in case you missed it, NBC Sports' Peter King uh, wrote in his Football Morning in America column this week that he's hearing the Niners haven't made a decision as to whether or not they're going to fully embrace Trey Lance in 2022 and move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. So I don't know what I want to take away from this. Part of me just wants to accept it at face value, where the Niners haven't made that decision because, oh, guess what? We're still in the regular season. There's still four more regular season games left to be played. And maybe whatever source or whatever person uh, Peter King was talking to was like, hey, yeah, we're not even focused on that right now. We're focused on winning you know, the, the Bill Belichick line. We're focused, on, we're focused on Atlanta. That's what we're talking about. We're on to Atlanta, and that's going to be it. But nevertheless, you have seen some different trends. And, of course, the big one is Trey Lance not seeing the field anymore and Jimmy Garoppolo being the guy. And so I, I thought this stat was interesting. In, in games this season, the 49ers are 6-0 and when Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw an interception. I tweeted this out uh, you know, shortly, uh, shortly after Sunday's game. And in games where he has thrown an interception, they're 1-5. So, of course, that's not the only X factor, but it's a pretty big one, right? I mean, it was like all those people used to tout quarterback wins and say, well, gosh, Jimmy Garoppolo's win percentage. And it's like, well, hey, you know, there's 52 other players on the roster, FYI. <laughs> a lot of things that could, could influence that. But nevertheless, that is pretty significant. And my big takeaway on that is the Niners don't have the talent on either side of the ball to account for or make up for any of Garoppolo's mistakes. You know, this isn't like 2019 where they could absolutely swarm you with a dominant defensive line and a, and a good secondary. Uh, you know, that secondary isn't really good anymore, although safeties Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart I don't think get enough credit. But, you know, you don't have that, that, that multifaceted pass rush like you did in 2019. You don't have the consistency at linebacker that you'd like. At least, you know, Fred Warner's been there, but, you know, and Aziz Alshire has been excellent. I'm not, you know, discounting that. But the defense is okay, right? The offense, it's okay. The run game, when Elijah Mitchell's been healthy, has been good. Debo Samuel makes the offense so much better. George Kittle playing well makes the offense so much better. 
but the margin for error is just so razor thin. And so the Niners can't make up for any Jimmy Garoppolo mistakes. And I, and I wrote a piece about this over at, at Niner Noise, and, and it was titled, Jimmy Garoppolo is Consistent, and That's Good and Bad for the 49ers. And, and, and I wanted to make sure, as I'm talking about this here, that I, want, that I want you to understand the context behind that argument, how Jimmy Garoppolo is consistent. And perhaps I should have phrased this more by saying he's consistently average. Now, I think we pretty much have established by that point, in this, by this point in his career, he's 30 years old. He's not going to be the exceptional 400-yard, four-touchdown type quarterback who, you know, you, you better not give him two minutes left on the clock with a, you know, with a, a one-score lead because he's going to march down the field and beat you. However, the Bengals found that out, and Jimmy Garoppolo did. His second game-winning drive of the season, by the way. He had four in 2019, in case you were wondering. Um, glad you were. But anyway, he's not going to be that type of dynamic quarterback to uplift an entire offense. We know this, right? This isn't anything over the top. Now, he's also not going to be that quarterback who just completely implodes. And, you know, I'm not, you know, Garoppolo's had bad games. Let's not kid ourselves here. But we've also seen plenty of quarterbacks this season completely implode. Now, usually those are back-end quarterbacks, you know, kind of that third or fourth-tier quarterback where you're wondering, why are you starting? <laughs> like, why are you why are you even named a starter unless somebody's hurt? You really shouldn't be in this role. Um, Garoppolo's not going to be that guy either. You know, he's just kind of consistently average. And, and going into last weekend's game, I was taking a look at, at, at Garoppolo's interceptions, the, those numbers, you know, of, of how many games the 49ers won when he threw a pick compared to games they won when he didn't. Garoppolo had has an intercept or going into week uh, week 14 I should say Garoppolo had an interception percentage of 2.6 so 2.6% of the time he's throwing the ball he's throwing a pick guess what his career interception percentage was up to that point 2.6 there's your consistency now for those who don't necessarily pay attention to interception percentage all that much and I don't blame you if you if you don't if you're getting close to that 3% mark it's kind of danger will robinson it's like that's that's where you kind of have to draw the line as okay this this quarterback's a little too turnover prone we need to start searching now if garoppolo was good enough to elevate the offense to new levels um then yeah it's certainly one of those things where you would take a high interception percentage as as part of it i mean heck Jameis winston before he was hurt <laughs> I mean, talk about interceptions here, right? Although he was trying to cut down on those a little bit with the Saints before he, uh, he tore his ACL. So hopefully he comes back healthy and, and, and has a productive career with fewer picks. Anyway, let's get back to the 49ers here. There's another play, too, that, that's been floating around on Twitter where Garoppolo tries to target George Kittle, who's got three Bengals uh, defenders around him. And it's one of those, you know, 10 yards down the field passes where... If you look at the All-22, you see Debo Samuel breaking on a post-like route and has his receiver beat. I mean, it, it, his, his defensive back beat, and it would have been a touchdown in stride. Same thing with the Travis Benjamin uh, play early in the game where you know Travis Benjamin had his man beat. It was weird to see Travis Benjamin on the field. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he plays for the 49ers. Um, but Benjamin had his man beat. Garoppolo underthrew it. Benjamin had to stop, kind of try to come back to the ball. And before you know it, there is, I, I believe, three Bengals defensive backs all around him. And one of them was able to break up the pass. And uh, 
Yeah, some guy on Twitter tried to, you know, I was I was like, gosh, hey, you know, underthrown ball by Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't hit his receiver in stride. And some guy on Twitter was responding to me going like, eh, the defensive back broke up the pass. What are you looking, homie, or something like that. And I was just, yeah, I don't respond to stuff like that because I'm like, apparently you don't understand what leading a receiver is about. You know, you lead a receiver in stride, especially in that case. Travis Benjamin's off to the races. He's into the end zone. I mean, even at his age, he's got speed. So anyway, let's tie all that together. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a bomb thrower. He doesn't have a cannon. I don't think I'm, I'm truly educating anybody here. If you've watched any stretch of time with Jimmy Garoppolo under center, you know that his deep throws, they often come up short. You see receivers slow up. You saw that way back in week one on that long touchdown to Debo Samuel, a catch and run touchdown, but Samuel had to slow up. And the Lions defensive back, uh, I think it was Jeff Okuda, uh, actually ran by Samuel and then kind of got stuck in between as Samuel caught it and, and was able to, to break free for a touchdown. But nevertheless, that's just kind of be expected. So getting back to Peter King's comment, thinking to myself, all right, if the 49ers truly look at Jimmy Garoppolo and think he's playing well, then why the, why the Lance trade up? Why the investment of three first-round picks plus a, a, a third-rounder? Um, unless Jimmy Garoppolo was playing so lights out, and I'm talking, you know, borderline MVP, borderline first-team All-Pro type lights out. And Jimmy Garoppolo's been good, you know, not questioning that. But he hasn't been playing at that pro bowl level even you know it's been a good quarterback and i've always said this about garoppolo he's played good this season he's played well uh not enough to be elite certainly not bad enough to be benched but that's kind of the where you are at mantra of it my colleague over here at fan sided uh matt verderam I always just kind of stick by this this sentiment that he has. And if you listen to our uh, sister podcast, Stacking the Box, um, for many times, especially during the offseason, when offseason chatters the rage, you know, he'll say this a lot. He'll say that there should be two kinds of quarterbacks in the league right now. Those who have elite quarterbacks, you know, the guy, right? And, and obviously you can name them. It's, it's you know, the, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers of the world. Heck, I'd even put in Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, you know, and, and, and sure, Joe Burrow. I'll, I'll, I'll put him in there. I won't say he's elite, but at least, you know, you have quarterbacks who are either the guy, right? They're, they're in that upper echelon category or if they're young, you know, a first, second, maybe a third year pro, they're showing you all the signs that, yeah, they're going to be elite. They're going to be really good. So there's, that's one team. You either have one of those guys, and if you don't, you should be looking for that guy. You should be going out there trying to do whatever you can to go out and find an elite quarterback. That's why it gets so frustrating about some teams like, I don't know, the Denver Broncos settling on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, even the Saints trying to settle on Jameis Winston or, or, I don't know, whatever the Carolina Panthers are doing. You know, trying to get these, these retreads or, or, or quarterbacks who are, eh, you're okay. <laughs> but uh, I don't want the Niners to be stuck in that. And yeah, of course, the 49ers have found ways to win with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. I, I don't want to hear it from the quarterback wins crowd. You know, I get it. You know, and that's why I said he's a good quarterback. If other things are working well around you, you know, a run game, a defense, a pass rush, uh, you have skill position players like Debo Samuel and George Kittle, guess what? Yeah, you can win some games, right? But that's what made me just 
questioned the Peter King piece so much, thinking, then why would the Niners go all out on trying to find Jimmy G's replacement? Why would they do that? You know, again, that makes no sense. And look, perhaps the Niners are regretting that decision now. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on behind closed doors there. Maybe the Niners are like, you know what? We made a mistake. We've been watching Trey in practice. He looked really good at the beginning, but ooh, it's just been rough since then. Jimmy Garoppolo's played well. I don't know. Again, I don't think that's how it's panning out right now. And if it is, yeah, the decision makers who 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 keyed in on on moving up to number three overall in the draft for Trey Lance, uh, they need to be evaluated if that's the case. And again, that's why I don't think it is because I don't think the Niners would have made that move unless they were absolutely 150% certain they wanted to move on from Jimmy G sooner than later. So it's possible we're seeing Jimmy Garoppolo's last games. I'm I'm certainly banking on that. Um, If the 49ers make the playoffs, hey, guess what? You get one last shot to to make a push into the postseason. Hopefully from every 49ers fan perspective, it, it winds up getting to the Super Bowl. Hopefully winning it this time. Again, I don't think either one of those two outcomes happen. I just don't see Jimmy Garoppolo going through on the road and beating someone like Aaron Rodgers or or Tom Brady. Um, One of those two you're going to have to face probably in a a divisional game and then perhaps even the other in the NFC Championship game. Don't see that happening, but whatever, stranger things have happened. Maybe the 49ers just take the ball out of Jimmy G's hand and just run the ball like crazy again like they did in uh, at the end of the 2019 season. Worked against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers then, right? So anyway, enough about that. Look, we're going to be looking forward to this upcoming week. All of that talk beyond that is just that. It's talk. The 49ers need to handle their business here against the Falcons. And uh, it's kind of one of those two, yeah, you should win this game. You know, if, if you're only going to win two, this needs to be one of them uh, type of games on the calendar for San Francisco. So just a quarter of the way to go through the rest of the regular season. We're looking forward to it. We hope you are too. And again, just as a kind ask, if you like what you hear, if you enjoy it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Go ahead and give us that five-star review and uh, leave us some comments. We always enjoy that. Also leave us some comments over at NinerNoise.com. Be sure to check out everything over there as far as your 49ers news analysis and insight. And until next time, 49er fans, this is Peter Panacey on behalf of Robert Morrison signing off for the Niner Noise podcast. Let's go ahead and sound the horn. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.